to Authors Annotated, a Gwinnett County Public Library podcast where we chat with authors about their work, their creative processes, and their love of libraries. My name is Steve Thomas. I am the manager of the Grayson branch. And on today's episode, we welcome author Lynn Cullen. Her novel, Mrs. Poe, was named a Book of the Week by People Magazine, an NPR Great Read, an Indie Next List selection, Oprah Book Club of the Week, and Best Book of the Year by Atlanta Magazine. Twain's End was a People Magazine Book of the Week. Her novels have been translated into 17 languages, and she has appeared on PBS American Masters. Her newest novel, The Sisters of Summit Avenue, is a moving and heartfelt tribute to mothers, daughters, and sisters everywhere. Lynn Cullen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Uh, Can you tell us, um, to start off with, before we get into the books, uh, what are some of your earliest memories of libraries? Oh, that's a good question for me, because I lived at libraries when I was a kid. I would get on my bike with a grocery sack and go fill up... um, I loved biographies when I was a kid, and uh, I finally ran out of them. But I loved uh, anything I could get my hands on by about Abraham Lincoln, you know. And they happened to have books about his mother, his sister, I mean, wow. <laughs> everything uh, back then. So um, and mysteries, I loved mysteries and the boxcar children. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I, it was important to, for me to go to the library. And I, once I loaded up my bike and went back home, I went up in this tree we had in our backyard and sat in the branches of that reading. So I have very fond memories of the library. That's great. And they still publish new boxcar children books. Really? <laughs> now, it's a, it's a really long-running series. So, I love yeah. that. And I used to pretend like I was a little lost girl. That was my favorite pretend thing, and I pretended all the time. I think that was a precursor to being a, a writer, mm-hmm. that I was always pretending. But Little Lost Girls was lots of fun. <laughs> um, well... We know that all authors get asked, where do you get your ideas? So I won't ask that. (laughs) But what is your writing process? So how do you kind of get started when you're ready to start a story? Or do you have a common starting point, I guess? Um, Not really. I mean, you need an idea, and they come from all kinds of places. Um, you, You know when you have a good one, in my case, like I get chills. The hair stands up in my arms. I had that for um, Mrs. Poe, which came from you know a great place of need and um, you know traumatic time in my life. But yet this idea came to me. My my husband had what we now know was encephalitis. We weren't even sure he had this brain injury. Mm-hmm. Um, you know he was. Uh, in an altered state, which I will tell you is the scariest thing when someone you know and love is becomes just an unrecognizable creature. Yeah. And um, he eventually, uh, you know, was unconscious for a few days. And when he came out, they were afraid that, you know, I didn't know what I'd get. And indeed, he did have a brain injury. He he just had no attention span. He couldn't spell even the shortest word backward. Mm-hmm. Um, he couldn't really read. And so, you know, I finally got him home, and the night I got him home, I was in my office pacing, thinking, how am I going to support us? How am I, How are we going to live? Mm-hmm. And Poe popped in my head, 
and I'm not even a Poe person, not any more than anyone else. I, right. you know, I knew about the black cat and, um, you know, those kind of the standard fare for junior high and high school. But Poe popped in my head, and I looked him up, and I thought, I, I, I think this is interesting because he was an, an underdog. You know, he was unloved as a child, and he just so needed to be loved. But, you know, I like to write about women, so... I thought, well, what about the women in his life? His his wife didn't seem to be what I wanted to write about. She was young and kind of lost, I feel like. But um, I saw in 1845 that he had fallen in love with a poet named um, Francis Osgood. And it actually ruined both their lives. But um, when I was reading about her, that she was a um, mother who had been abandoned. She had several children, and it was up to her to try to uh, keep the family together just on writing. And when I read that, I thought, I know you. I know you. I mean, she was right where I was at at that night. So that book just took off and was a miracle to me. But So that idea, I had no idea <laughs> that I'd be, you know, it, right. this would be my book. Yeah. I want you to know by the way, that my husband did make a full recovery from his um, his illness, and it took him many months, but he actually read books. Um, he was not able to read at all, of course, and uh, he asked me as he was lying in bed, because he was bed-bound for a number of weeks, and he said, uh, do you have any books? And I remember thinking, oh, okay, I'll give you a book, but I knew he couldn't read them. Well, after a few weeks, he started talking about the characters and um, what did I think about some action. And he'd tell me, he eventually said, I, you know, how do you feel about the ending? He got his mind back by reading novels of all things. And prior to that, he was a um, magazine and newspaper guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that was, he really hardly read novels. And now he's, he's a bigger reader than I am. But books... Put his brain back together. It's great. The power of books. The power of books. Um, And then I guess, I mean, every every book, I guess, has this little idea that it kind of comes from. Um, Do you remember what the idea was for um, the Sisters of Summit Avenue? What that? Because I'm reading it. I'm thinking there's all kinds of things I could see. Of like you heard about the Betty's thing, and that made you want to write a story about that, or you heard a story about this, or so. What 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 was the core of that one? You know, um, of course, Betty Crocker was. uh, I thought. My my editor thought, oh, a Betty Crocker book would be fun. And I brought that up as a kind of flippant remark. Um, I had just finished Twain's End, which is a really hard book to write because mm-hmm. there's so much written about Twain, and he's written so much about himself yeah. and written so much. <laughs> so it was really hard to you know get a handle on him and do all the research, and I was tired. And she said, okay, what's the next book? And I just thought, I thought Betty Crocker, because I knew that Betty Crocker wasn't real. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I thought, she won't be hard to research. (laughs) And I said, Betty Crocker. And they said, oh, I love that. And so (laughs) so I had to um, think, okay, how am I going to do a Betty Crocker book? But, um, you know, I, I read how people would go to Minneapolis. She would be on the radio back in the Depression years. Uh, She started out in... 26, I believe. Anyhow, she um, uh, invited people to come to her kitchen, and uh, they would come from all over the country, 
at a time when nobody had money, but they yeah. believed in her because she was on the radio uh, just so warm and inviting and, and talking to women to more about more than cooking, mm-hmm. that their lives mattered. And so she was beloved. And so people would make that trip, and they get to Minneapolis and to the kitchen, and it was only there that they were informed that there was no Betty Crocker. There were 21 women who played her, but, um, and, you know, like who answered the letters that she got, the right. thousands of letters. But, you know, they, they actually had boxes of Kleenexes sitting around the kitchen and because the they knew that people would, you know, break down. Yeah. And that just got to me that I thought, you know what, I think I do want to write this story. You know, that angle. And the rest of it just kind of <laughs> goes from there, and you write that. I mean, I, one of the next questions I had was um, about your research. So how do you, like, once you've just determined that, you know, you have a time period now, so where do you go from there to start expanding out what you want to write about? Well, you know, thank God for the Internet. That really is helpful. Um, I explore there, and I find books on there. And then the best source for me is once I get a, a book about a subject, looking in the footnotes that's where the real good stuff is for a historical fiction mm-hmm. novelist um, that you can you know find all these off books because that's where I find the really good stuff not just like a, there are some books about Betty Crocker but you know there's all these side things and history of of uh, Minneapolis I, I be became an expert on Minnesota, which I love. I've always been intrigued by Minnesota. So, um, you know, I had to learn about about that. That was fun. I make it a point when I write my books to go to every scene in the book. Um, It actually makes for a fun game for me because I travel around the world. If if the story takes place in Spain, I'll go there happily. Yes. You know, Italy. (laughs) And write it off because that makes sense. (laughs) There is that. But, you know, for me, it's just such a game because when I go to Italy, like, for example, I went to um, research uh, where Mark Twain lived there. Mm -hmm. And so it's a, you know, it's a fun thing to hunt down all these facts and yet be in the place. And plus, I know the history of the places, you know. Yeah. And I also get to meet people who are really into maybe this little local subject um, mm-hmm. a- around the world. And that's that's really been really fun. Yeah, just experiencing I can it's going to be a different thing than just reading up how reading about how this dish tastes that you knew Twain was favorite dish or something like that, as opposed to you going to that city, having them make it for you, and then you taste it. Yeah, yeah, and all those details go in the book, and I feel like it just makes for just a more authentic read. Yeah. Um, do you mind telling the story I saw on your site? There was you of where your your aunt, I think, oh. made you write a story. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> kind of explains how you get into that mindset. Yeah, well, and that story takes place in my early childhood. I had an aunt, she's no longer with us, who was a a world-renowned composer. And somehow she found the time to uh, take her daughter, my brother, and I to the countryside where she and my mother grew up. They grew up on the Indiana-Ohio state line. And they actually had one house. They were born in the Ohio side. My mother was born on the Ohio side, and my aunt was born on the Indiana side. But um, anyhow, she wanted to take me in the country. And uh, she 
we went to this one room school house, which is still there. I went there just a couple of years ago. Um, Amish families mm-hmm. use it now. Um, and they're the family, you know, store in the area and church, all that stuff. And I was seeing all these cool old things, looking in the window of that schoolhouse and seeing these old desks where my mom would have sat. Mm-hmm. And at the time, it was uh, abandoned. So here's all these old chairs jumbled up and all. And it really made an impression. But it was my aunt who took me home and said, okay, we'll go to the Dairy Queen, but first you have to write about what you saw. And, you know, I found that I liked that. And what I really liked, besides going to the Dairy Queen afterward, (laughs) was that my aunt really praised my work. And so it really matters when teachers and parents are praising their children because, you know, she's like, oh, Liv, you could, you have such a gift, you have such an eye for these details and all that and I soaked that in and made it my thing I thought I'm a writer you know (laughs) and I've stuck with that all my life so little things like that matter is that when you realized you wanted to be a writer or was there a point when you were like this is what I want to do like not not just something that I'm good at or something I like doing but this is what I want to do you know I always knew I was going to be a writer and that was one of my earlier times you know but in school um you know, teachers were always commenting again, and that goes a long way for a, a child. You know, when you're mm-hmm. when you're told you're good at something, you yeah. think I want to do that some more. <laughs> and um, I also had this imagination. Like I said, I was always playing little lost girls. So the two things were just a good fit. You know, I could use my imagination and be creative. And so I was always writing stories when I was a kid, and I knew in high school that I would be a writer. I didn't. I just didn't know what kind, and that really bugged me when I was in high school and college. I was an English lit major, mm-hmm. but I didn't know. Me too. <laughs> yay, yay. I think it's the most fascinating major, but mm-hmm. I would, right? You too, right? <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's so great to learn um, how things are put together. I've taken very few writing classes, but learning how these masterpieces were put together really is my training but I didn't know what how I was going to get started in writing I always knew I wanted to be a writer I have no connections other than my aunt Ruth who is a musical she was a choral composer actually so I had I had no way into the writing world my way in was when my um, oldest daughter was in kindergarten uh, I went to her school you know first day and went to the library and volunteered there. I thought that's where I would like to help at the school. And the librarian uh, started showing me middle grade fiction, um, different uh, books. Like I remember, I love Betsy Byer and Paula Fox. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought I love these books. They're they're as well written as any adult book I've read. And maybe in this case. You know, I could get published more quickly, you know, find a way in that way. And so I thought, yeah, I'm going to do this. And I took a writing class at that time with Tom McCaney at Georgia State. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, most people, when they get serious about writing, it takes them seven years to get published. And I remember thinking, not me. (laughs) I'm going to have that book out there. You know, I'm going to work hard and have it out soon. And, you know, the year it came out, it was my first book. 
um, it was a middle grade fiction. Mm -hmm. It was seven Seven years years. later. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But I haven't looked back. A wise man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He was a great instructor. He's still around. Is he still teaching there? No, he's retired. Retired. Yeah. Um, Well, uh, most of your stuff is... If not all, it's historical fiction. Um, has your love of history always been around there too? Yes, yes. When I was a kid, um, see, we we're going to see a theme. Your childhood makes, mm-hmm. and th- when I write uh, about, when I'm looking at historical characters, I always look at their childhood because the child makes the person. Yeah. It just really does. So, uh, what was the question again? Oh. I got into that. <laughs> if you're um, interested, have you always been interested in history? Oh, so um, when I was a child, I was uh, our family of seven kids. Um, my parents could not afford to take us to hotels and stuff, so we camped, and we camped all over the country. Hmm. My dad made it his thing to go to all the states we possibly could go to. And also, on every trip, we stopped at uh, all the museums that he could possibly find, Mm -hmm. historical sites. Uh, You know, Lincoln was kind of a big theme in our family, maybe because I'm from Fort Wayne, and um, there's a big Lincoln Museum there, because Lincoln Life Insurance Company was there. (laughs) So anyhow, um, I was taken to all these historical places as a kid. It's just in my blood. It's what you do. You look out the, the... When you go a place, you look for the historical background. So I'm still doing it. <laughs> <laughs> and are you, always, are you um, always looking for those strong, resilient female characters? Because that, that's something that, that you kind of gravitate to in all, all your stories. That's something you, you're, you're trying to pick out when you're uh, searching through that research. Yes, yes. In fact, for my most um, current book that will be out in February, um, I... Uh, had been walking with a friend who was an oral historian at the CDC and she told me so many stories, cool stories about different um, pioneers in epidemiology and public health and one of her favorite people, in fact she's ended up writing a book, the biography I should say of Albert Sabin, but one of my favorite stories was about the race between Sabin and Salk Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, that's really fascinating. And we talked about this for years. But I kept thinking, I can't do that story because I want to write about women. I want to know about the women in in that world. And really, to answer your question, it's because since I am a woman, I feel like I could be more of an authority on yeah. the character. Yeah. Um, I have... I don't know how people write like first person uh, from a, a different gender. I, I just, I, I don't know. Our experiences are just different, and that's why I really um, want to always seek out the women. And in this case of the polio race, it actually took me a number of years to, to settle on, find Dorothy Horseman, who happened to make a discovery that those two guys couldn't have even done their vaccines without. So, um, you know, she's majorly important. And she also, um, after, you know, setting it up so, you know, making this discovery so they understood how polio worked to make the vaccine, uh, later on when Sabin was trying to get his uh, vaccine on the market, 
they had it tested in the USSR uh, because at the time um, there was a, a crisis with one of the um, with the first vaccine, the Salk vaccine, and uh, so the FDA really tightened up on any kind of vaccines to this day, mm-hmm. which is, we are the beneficiary of the Cutter incident, it's called, but we're the beneficiary. It's really, really hard to get a vaccine through yeah. in any medicine, but vaccines in particular because of, you know, the disaster that happened with the Cutter incident. So um, they had to do a trial in the USSR, and Dorothy Horseman was chosen by the WHO to go over there and see if that vaccine is, you know, was safe and effective. Mm-hmm. And so in a way, the vaccine that we got as kids, I don't know if you got the polio vaccine in the cube, uh, sugar cube, but we got that sugar cube on Dorothy Horseman's say-so. <laughs> Yet nobody knows about her. Yeah. I mean, there's, I think there's so many stories like that of women yes. working in the labs, yeah. behind the scenes of the guys who were getting published and all this stuff. I mean, was, uh, there's a similar right. thing, I think, with the guys who did discovered DNA. I think there's a, a woman that's part of that uh, as well. And yeah. I think they got the Nobel Prize, and she didn't even know she was equally, <laughs> if not more so, responsible for, for the discovery. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it happens a lot. And so, I mean, it's, it's important to have stories like yours, even if they're fictionalized, just that you're still bringing it out and you're making clear that, you know, this person's real. <laughs> I'm making up this story sort of, right. you know, fictionalizing it, and they're making it more narrative, but the, it really happened. <laughs> yes, yeah. Oh, yeah, I had to learn a lot of science and, and all, because it, even though it's a novel, I really wanted to know and get across, you know, all that went into that without making it yeah. uh, too dry. It's a real trick. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, if they could do it for the Queen's Gambit, you know, for chess, Yes. I, I I loved watching that because I thought, yes, they're taking chess, and in a bit of we'll watch the show. You know, it's so mm-hmm. that gave me hope. <laughs> yes. um, yeah, my wife will love to read that. She's in public health, so <laughs> I'll look forward to that. Oh, one. great, great! It's called "The Woman with the Cure," um, and that's early er, in early 2023. Is that right? Yes, February. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you've written children's books and adult books and mostly historical fiction. Um, if you could do anything else? Is there any other genre that you would like to play around with? Or is this just kind of where your mindset is and where you'd like to stay? Um, I love history and fiction. I might veer someday away from um, a a real-life person and still do historical fiction. Though the things I have in the back burner again, are centered around someone. You kind of get used to a method, you know, um, which got me for the Sisters of Summit Avenue when I did it for Betty Crocker. Mm -hmm. It did kind of, whoa, throw me that I didn't have this person to base it around. And it was kind of freeing. I got to write about these sisters um, instead. Yeah, you you mentioned liking mysteries earlier. I didn't know if you wanted to write a mystery or anything. Um, No, though I should because I love them so much as a child. I've heard heard they're very hard (laughs) because you got to get it and all those putting in the red herrings without throwing it off. You know what, though? You have to do this for really all kind of fiction. And I I would argue, and I've heard um, others argue, uh, other, I'm trying to think of the famous person. 
and I've heard it argued that it, historical fiction is the hardest of all to write because you've got just what you were saying. You have all the the tension, the red herrings. You got to you know peop, you got to pull them along with the plot and the story, and you've got to have characters. You've got to have a setting, but you also have to have all this history right. And if you're doing it on a real life person, then you have an extra burden of you know getting that person right. So it's it's I chose a tough one, but mm-hmm. I yeah well and I if it's it. and for your own integrity as a writer, you want to get it all right, but also if you get it wrong, you're going to get people are going to let you know. <laughs> I'm sure you'll get lots of letters and everything of saying, well, you didn't do this right. Yeah, I remember. Um, for the bump cake, I mentored a bump cake in Sisters of Summit Avenue, and I heard about it, but I, I didn't. They didn't have bump cake pans at that era because they're made in a certain town in um, in Minnesota. And boy, they let me know. So that you know, but I I have been lucky so far. I hope the next book is. Um, I, I've worked hard to keep things right, but anyhow, you. So far, it's been little things. Like bunt cake pans, <laughs> but I listen. You know that's yeah. important to know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, and you know, I think it, I changed. It, it's hard it. to keep up that kind of. Oh, did you? So uh, yeah, I think I was able. Paperback, maybe it'll be. It yeah, was I the think, right thing or something. Or, well, I think the person who saw it was for an early copy, so I was able to fix oh, it. Oh, so it's not actually in yeah. the. Okay. Yeah. So that's the importance of early readers too. <laughs> yes, and that's what I like to be told. Nothing worse than you're told when it's you know done. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and when you're on tour and someone in the audience raises their hand and say, well, actually, bunt cake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Your first adult book, The Creation of Eve, was translated to the Spanish title La Leyenda Negra, Black Legend, uh, meaning close to smear campaign. And I found that translation interesting but appropriate, but it's not a direct translation of the title. Did you have anything to do with that title change? And um, do you like that title change? You know, it's funny. That was my original title. Was the, it? <laughs> though the Spanish, um, the folks who did the Spanish translation had no idea of that. I had a hard time finding the title for that book. Um, it, it was about the black legend, um, but they, which is the the smear campaign by the English against Philip II, mm-hmm. and my book actually. Um, rehabilitates his image, and in fact, you know, I I did the research and felt that you know he was a, a better monarch actually than Elizabeth the first, who was actually very um, brutal. Uh, she didn't hesitate to imprison or kill people who crossed her. He was not like that. In fact, he was mocked in his country as the paper king because he spent so much time trying to govern. You know, fancy that, a governor. They did not have, the rulers did not usually worry about governing. Right. He did. So he was actually this kind of good guy and a good family man, loved his daughters, and they smeared him. And so my book is very much uh, about him and his daughters and his wife and the painter to his wife is the main character, Sophonispa Angosola. So the um, publisher said, okay, Black Legend, this is a woman's story. Um, that doesn't really fit for a women's book. So uh, we scrambled and tried to think, and my editor said, shouldn't it be Painter to the Queen? 
And at the time, I thought, that's too direct. That's, there's no romance in that. I, I don't mm-hmm. like it. But I sort of regret that I didn't go for that. I, I chose the creation of Eve because I felt like this was, it was symbolic of the creation of, of a woman's power because um, Sophonispa and Gosola had invented a, a kind of painting. She, you know, women were not supposed to paint back then. Yeah. And she got no encouragement whatsoever. And she uh, had to paint family scenes because she couldn't paint from the nude. That was, you know, not for her. Yeah. So yeah. she couldn't do the big historical pieces like Michelangelo, who her was her peer, um, was doing. So uh, she just painted her family and invented genre painting, which, you know, we take for granted now, but that was mm-hmm. a new thing that she did. And uh, she also um, looked at the ceiling of the, I had her picturing the Sistine Chapel, and everybody saw, everybody, we, you, you can just picture, you think Sistine Chapel, and you see the, the hand of God and yeah. Adam. Yeah. Do you realize the, right, the panel right next to it is the creation of Eve? Nobody knows of that panel. Nobody cares about Eve, yeah. but it's right there next to it, you know? So mm-hmm. um, that's why I always use that title. But I think a lot of people think, oh, this is about Eve. <laughs> so, right, right. Yeah. So I kind of wonder if that was the best title. <laughs> but to, that, that, that's pretty neat, though, that, that the Spanish publishers <laughs> obviously went back to your original title. Yeah, even knowing it, so. yeah, yeah, they didn't even know. <laughs> Well, um, the last thing I wanted to ask is, um, what is the? You mentioned your early reading, but what is the first book you remember reading, and then what are you currently reading? First book I ever remember reading, um, or an early one if you can't. Well, I don't know about the very first. Well, Dick and Jane books, the very first ones, but I really loved the story of Ferdinand. Mm-hmm. You know about the bull, mm-hmm. and. You know, years later, I did all this research in Spain, and I that book came back to me because I could see that the illustrator really knew his Spain. Mm-hmm. And he, he had a few jokes there, like cork trees with corks hanging from them. It's actually the bark, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but he really knew his Spain, and all those years later, I was like, this is really cool. <laughs> he got it. And I, I think he did spend a lot of time there. Yeah. I'm inside um, Ferdinand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then the book that I'm um, reading now, I just finished, and it's such a revelation to me because it's a fun form of um, my book coming out in February. It's called Lessons in Chemistry. Have you read that yet? <laughs> it's humorous, but yet she delivers some really cool points. And um, my book is a real-life character um, in her book uh, it's you know it's, it's another woman in science who just you know has all these roadblocks um, her work stolen from her you know all, all, so many things that my real life person had here's this person and uh, in this this wonderful package and it's so much fun too even though you're crying about what's happened to her, <laughs> right. some of these horrible things, it's really hilarious, too. That's my favorite, a book that you can laugh and cry. Can't beat that, <laughs> really. Well, Lynn, thank you so much for coming on uh, for your per- first podcast experience. Yes, 
crazy, isn't that? But yes, thank you. It was painless. <laughs> and um, I, I know we don't necessarily like that all the women in history had to have these bad experiences, but you get to help bring them to light to people so we can learn about them at least after they passed. <laughs> um, set the historical record straight. So. Yep. I'll keep doing it. Right. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Authors Annotated, a podcast from Gwinnett County Public Library. And thanks again to author Lynn Cullen for the great conversation. You can find out more about the library's podcasts at gwinnettpl.org slash podcasts, or follow them in your podcast app of choice. Thanks for listening, and thanks for supporting your Gwinnett County Public Library.